So losing is difficult for players. I mean, just think about it after every game. What do people ask them? Did you win, right? It's the big thing that they oftentimes measure whether things went well or not. I mean, the reality is whether they've lost 10 in a row or they just blew a 10 game win streak, a loss can start to break down the culture of your team. Last episode, we discussed how we as coaches first need to learn how to lose before we can teach our team how to lose. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about the things not to do as a coach and a few practical things that you could consider doing to help teach your team how to lose games, how to lose games appropriately so that they can not only improve moving forward, but stay connected as a team and still enjoy the journey. And that's what we're all about on the Coaching Culture Podcast positive experiences, growth, and connection. Welcome to the pod. If you're a new listener, my name is JP Nurbin, and I'm the founder of TOC Culture Consulting, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Nate Sanderson. We help leaders to build better team cultures. And if you want some more help doing that, check out tocculture.com to learn more. So Nate, before we get into some ways that coaches can help their team to learn from a loss, I want to unpack really quickly some of the worst ways that I have as a coach and other coaches have handled losing with their team. And for me, probably the number one thing I'm guilty of is a really long post-game talk. Sometimes that might be heated. I might be laying into them. Other times I would try to like have this long drawn out meeting, like we're going to fix this tonight. And in the end, most everybody's just ready to go home. But there I was saying, don't even think about untying your shoe until we've got this done. And so that was one area where I really drew things out. And honestly, it was probably more about me and just me kind of processing the loss. And I would have been better up just shutting up and going to the bar with my assistant coaches and venting there than sitting there and venting to my players. I think the other one that I see really common today still. And it's kind of this thing that I think, you know, coaches struggle with, which is the bus trip home. So when the team gets on the bus and you're riding home from the loss and, you know, the game that you should have won back when I was a player, like if the head coach was on that bus, like you didn't laugh, you just had to sit there and be miserable. Now coaches like to accuse today's kids of not caring as much and they're not competitors. And so we expect kids to sit around and be miserable and quiet, but oftentimes there might be goofing off or they're having fun or they're socializing with the other team, like the girls team or the boys team that's on the bus. And this is kind of, I think, you know, kind of an area where coaches struggle with what, how should my team respond? I, I want my team to be kind of disappointed because I want them to, you know, want to win. But I've kind of come around on this where, you know, in the past I might have demanded my players are serious and focused and, you know, think about the losses on the bus trip home. Now I'm just like, you know what, if they can flush it really quickly, what really matters to me is they come in and work hard the next day. And so I see a lot of coaches demand silence or they're angry or upset when players are kind of goofing off on the bus trip home. And I kind of think that that's kind of an outdated approach as well, too. Well, I think, JP, if we polled players, most of them would say that they would prefer not to have a response like that when they lose a game. Uh, I think other things that sometimes coaches can do, and I know I've been guilty of this. I remember you know, we won a game by 20 on the road um, a number of years back, beat a team that we beat by 50 the first time. And I was hot after the game because we didn't play nearly as well. So we came home that night at 10 o'clock, 
put the practice gear on and we practiced for an hour and we weren't going to let him go. And so we were playing to the level that we wanted to play at, you know, I'd never do that today because I don't think that makes us better, you know, and I think there's lots of practices that you see, you know, across the levels in sport, whether it's a coach that just unloads on their team, uses the media to bash an individual or to bash a team's effort, um, the conditioning, you know, after a game, during a timeout, uh, the next day in practice where you're just r running off your turnovers or something of that nature. Um, I think all of those things distract from what the team really needs and really wants. And I think what we're getting into here today, which is you want your team to get better and do those things actually help us to get better. I'm not so sure. Yeah. And at the end of the day, all the things that I think we just described are extrinsic, you know, like we're trying to extrinsically motivate our team and, you know, like you said, run them, taking away their jerseys, making them play in the practice jerseys. I saw a coach do that once, taking away the locker room. You know, you see people still doing that. You, you know, you're not worthy of the locker room. I think sometimes there's a lot of theatrics. And at the end of the day, it may be effective in the short term. You know, coaches may say, well, I've done that before. It's worked. Well, yeah, it's an extrinsic motivator. We're trying to help our team to be intrinsically motivated, focused on the process of growth and improvement. So the more we do of that stuff, the less we take away from what we really are trying to focus on. You know, Nate, you talked about that disappointing loss. And I, I just think back to, you know, five, six years ago, one of the most humiliating losses I had at the, the high school level, we had played a uh, road game. We'd lost by 50 something points and it wasn't a lack of execution. It was our players were tired from the game before, and it was a lack of effort. Like we just gave up. I hadn't seen a team give up on me like that before. And um, to that extent, and everything inside of me wanted just to lay into them, to just rip them and tear them down. But I recognized how ineffective that was. And so I kind of composed myself, walked in the locker room and asked them to circle up. We put our hands in, say, guys, that was really messy tonight. We're not going to fix it today. We'll get back after it tomorrow. Most important things you guys know is I love you guys. and I'm going to be with you through this. That was it. And we just walked out. And I, I, it may have been any less words than that at the end of the day. Like it was the shortest message I gave. And I feel like what was so impactful for that was like many of those guys were going to go into the car ride home and be with their parents and their parents might've laid into them and they might've had this narrative around all the reasons that we lost the game. And maybe it was blaming their kid or maybe it was blaming me, the coach or their other teammates. But I just wanted to, us to make sure that we all knew that that obviously wasn't a great loss. <laughs> we were really disappointed, but we were going to work through this together. And I wanted them to know that most importantly. So, you know, I think, that was honestly a turning point in that season, just because even our lowest moment, I said, we're in this together. And so I would encourage coaches, shorter messages, you know, if any message at all, just get your players out of the locker room, make sure that they feel connected in that moment and a loss, because that's oftentimes when the divisions start to happen. I think that's one way where I've evolved in the course of my career in terms of the post-game conversation just to go watch the film before I make any judgments to recognize, first of all, did we lose the game for the reasons that I think we lost the game, you know, and sometimes you come into the locker room 
And it's that one 50 50 ball that the kid didn't go after. And you just dwell on that. And in reality, that had nothing to do with why you lost the game. You lost the game because, you know, you couldn't guard this player or, or this action or whatever it might be. So I want to make sure because I've done that before where I've ranted on things that didn't actually matter. And I think that confuses your team. Um, I, I think the other thing that I do in terms of looking at the film before we give the team a lot of feedback is evaluating how did we prepare them for the thing that we didn't do well. So, for example, you know, we played a team a, a week ago that, that ran a lot of high-low action, and we haven't talked about how to guard that in our defense. And I think they scored 12 points off of it in the game. And so we could have gone in the locker room and said, how come you guys can't make adjustments and you guys you know, didn't recognize what's going on? But instead, we just said, look, we'll watch the film. We'll come back tomorrow. You know, We'll identify what we got to do better. And we realized that we haven't coached how to defend the high-low. Therefore, they don't know exactly how to do it. And we share the responsibility for that rather than blaming the players for not recognizing something that seems to be so obvious in the middle of the game. So I think that's that's been a big improvement for us is just we're sharing in that process of getting better and taking responsibility for the things that we don't know or we don't do well because we haven't prepared them well enough. And I think that that is a bit of vulnerability that draws your players in a little bit and increases your credibility and the trust that you have with your players when you're willing to approach it that way. Yeah, it's a great story of kind of extreme ownership, which is so valuable. And I know I've shared the story before, I think on the podcast, but you know, we, I was coached by Dave Odom at the University of South Carolina. I remember we lost to number three Pitt on a Saturday and we blew the lead late in the game. And, and this was my first time dressing for, for South Carolina. And my whole experience for the last four years was a coach that just laid into his team when they lost and Dave Odom came in there and this is a really, you know, high quality coach here. And he comes in and says, guys, that one was on me. I didn't prepare you to finish down the stretch and I'm going to make sure that you're ready next time. That blew my mind to see a coach take ownership. I only had more respect for him in that moment, you know, because he was able to step up that and he wasn't letting us off the hook. He came out and he worked us hard the next practice and he made sure that we were ready. I think it's really interesting also, you know, how you talked about, you know, kind of your way of processing and reflecting on the game. I, I, I'm not saying we shouldn't ever have any post-game talk with our team. Um, I, I think it's important sometimes to actually have that. You know, you don't always have to come and say, hey, I love you guys and just send them out the, the locker room. Some people may feel it's necessary to have a reflection at that time. And one of the best ways that I've seen coaches do this, I, I learned from Larry Gelwicks in our podcast on episode 192 with him. He uses that acronym WIN. W-I-N, what's important now with his team. And so he sets kind of success criteria for the game. He, here's the three things that we really need to do well in this game. And then at the end of the game, they're reviewing the game based upon those criteria. And so the players go around and they reflect and you know they, they, that's their process for reflection. Now, Galwick's used that because his team won games by a lot. You know, he's arguably one of the most winningest coaches in America and they'd win rugby games by 80, 90 points. But his whole concept was we need to get better regardless of the score, right? We always, winning isn't based upon the scoreboard. And so I've seen coaches over the last, you know, year or so that have really applied that concept that Gelwicks have talked about of just reflecting on the success criteria. We're not, we don't care about the scoreboard. We can win by 20, lose by 20, but it comes down to those, you know, what's important now. And typically that's a behavioral, 
And then there's something tactically or technically where they want to see within the game. So that behavior could be, you know, we need to have great bench energy or after missed shots today, we need to really make sure we're sprinting back or some sort of cultural behavior that we're really trying to stress to get better at this game, to be our best. And then there might be some sort of tactical or technical thing and trying to do offensively or defensively, but we're going to just focus in on those things. And I think that helps you to stay focused on the process, regardless of the scoreboard. And secondly, if we don't do that, I think it's really easy to get caught up and trying to focus on all the little things that didn't go right. And there, at the end of the day, there's always in every game, there's a million different mistakes. Right. And it depends on the standards you want to hold. And here you're just saying, hey, here's the three most important things for us to be at our best today. We're going to start with those three things. Now, I think losing one game or a couple games is one thing. But when you're approaching a season where you're going to be losing most of your games, which is a reality for a lot of teams out there, a lot of coaches out there, you know, that's a, a different set of challenges. Now, I know, Nate, you've, you're taking over a new program and they had their fair share of losses last year. And you're going to be a little undermanned this year. So I'm kind of curious how you're approaching losing, you know, over the course of the entire season here. Well, JP, for us, you know, we're coming into this season. Last year, Mount Vernon was one in 20. They averaged 30 points a game, shot 27% from the field, turned it over 21 times. This is a rebuild from every vantage point in terms of just kind of starting over and getting a fresh beginning here with, with the program. And we play in a really good league. I mean, the top four or five teams in our league are ranked and our schedule is, is really tough. So we know we're going to take our lumps during the year. We're a third of the way through the season right now. I think we're two and five through our first seven games. So for us, you know, the thing that we did from day one, and honestly, I took some of these ideas from Tyler Costin when we had him on the podcast a, a little bit ago, um, is to first of all, define what success is going to be for us. And I put in our parent meeting and in our player meeting, I created this chart and one of our local sports reporters has kind of this RPI formula that he uses to make his preseason rankings. And so I used that formula and I said, here's the, the Jeff Linder formula for how the Walmart conference is going to play out this year. And we were picked second from the bottom out of 13 teams. And I said, I'm not going to define success by, based on how many teams in front of us do we pass or how many of these teams do we beat? But our only goal is to be is to see how much better we can be at the end of the year compared to where we started on day one. That's it. We're just trying to get as far away from that beginning point as we possibly can. And so, you know, part of what Tyler Costin challenged me when we were having a conversation about this was you have to find other ways to be able to measure progress if it's not going to show up on the scoreboard. Now, granted for us, we've been more competitive. In other words, our margin of defeat is smaller and smaller. We've been in five of the seven games that we've played so far, but rather just relying on the final score to determine, are we getting better? We're really trying to identify other ways to measure our improvement and making sure that we share that with our parents and with our players as we go along during the season. So an example of that, yesterday, I sent our weekly email out to the program and I talked about how we started this season and we made a conscious decision to focus on half-court offense and half-court defense because that's what we're going to play the most in games. And we felt like if we could improve there the fastest or the soonest, it would, it would yield the best result in terms of our ability to be competitive. And our measurement for that is two things. One, we kind of see field goal efficiency at 48% gives you a pretty good chance to win. And you want to shoot a better percentage from the field than what you're allowing at the other end on the defensive end. 
And we are now after seven games plus 2%. We're shooting at 2% better than what we're allowing. Now we're still two and five, right? But we use that as evidence to say, look, here's where we've invested all this time and energy in what we're teaching. And we can see it's yielding results. And those results are making us more competitive. Now with our players, we say, okay, we check the first box. We're competitive in the half court. Why do we keep losing games? Well, the reason is, even though we shoot a little bit better, our opponents are getting 10 more shots a game than we are because we turn it over and we give up too many offensive rebounds. So in the middle third of the season, that margin, and that's a pretty small margin between us and most of the rest of the conference, comes down to how can we get as many shots as our opponent? If we can do that and shoot a better percentage, we're going to start winning games. Winning is going to start happening. But our emphasis is constantly on the process and the progress rather than simply being defined by the outcome on the scoreboard. I think so often we talk about the process, the process, let's just focus on the process, but it comes to be kind of cliche. And here you're outlining a process, but also it's like you've got a little marker along this, this process where they can see here, here, we're moving forward. We're moving forward. And I think that's huge. I, I think one thing I'd encourage coaches on is to understand that every team is going to have its own personality and it's going to be full of different personalities. And so players are going to handle losing differently because I think everyone has a different vision of what a great experience is based upon their personality and their aspirations. So what do I mean by that? I just think some people, you know, a great year, well, we could lose a lot of games, but do I feel connected to my teammates? That could be really important. Other people may value, hey, do we have fun team of, you know, is the bus trip fun to the games? Are we having fun team get-togethers? Other people might be really more like it. They want to come in. They want to have really productive practices where they get after it. They're working hard. That may be the way that they process a loss is, is they want to, they can't wait to get into the gym and keep getting better the next day. Um, and then I think other people, they really need a plan. And I think some of the stuff that you just shared there, I think it really speaks to that of just like, here, here's our plan for progress. This is how we are going to continue to get better. And we know that we're getting better. I think that all of us need probably a little bit of each of those. Some people need more than the other. And I think the other thing we got to consider is the aspirations of our team and then each individual within that team. And, I, and the reality is a lot of times the high school and collegiate level We've got recreational athletes and we got performance athletes. And the recreational athletes, they're not going to be that upset when we lose as much as we are upset. You know, they're going to be disappointed, but they're probably going to be able to flush it pretty quickly and be able to have a good time with their friends on the bus. They're probably going to maybe they even maybe making a joke in a locker room, you know, after a game. But at the same time, there's the performance athletes. And this is where I've actually seen tension within teams. And some people are like, well, they don't care when we lose. They're, they're upset. They're, they're goofing off. And it's just, here we have two different types of aspirations within the team, not even just a conflict between coach and players, but a conflict within the, the players themselves. And so I think we need to be attuned to those things and making sure that we're creating opportunities that people feel still connected in losses. They're still fun in a season where we're losing lots of games, right? Um, we're, we're still working hard. We're still getting after it. And we have a clear plan for growth. Well, JP, and something I think that's related to that when it comes to athlete satisfaction, whether you're having a winning season or a losing season, you know, Doug Lamov talks a lot about a coach's credibility 
being determined by how much better players think they're getting playing for that coach. You know, and you think about it, you talk to athletes that are on a winning team and they win all their games by 20 or 25 points or whatever, but they do the same thing in practice every day and they don't necessarily feel like they're getting any better as the season goes on or that they're learning. They're going to be less engaged in practices, probably in games, probably in timeouts, if they don't have that feeling that the coach is making us better. You know, and I think on the flip side, you might be losing a lot of games. I mean, I feel like, you know, again, our team right now is two and five, but I love where we're at culturally because we are, are excited about our improvement. And one of the ways that we've done that besides, you know, sharing some of those measurables that I mentioned before is just asking our players when we start a mental health day, you know, or, or a culture day, asking them, what do you feel more confident doing now than you did a month ago? That makes them recognize areas where they feel better about their game. Asking them, you know, what are you proud of this week? How do we feel like we've gotten better, you know, this week as a result of playing these two difficult opponents or, or what have you? We've asked them, you know, what did we learn? What did playing the number five team in the state teach us about ourselves, right? So even how we formulate those questions uh, and the discussions that we're having as a group, as a team, I think helps to recognize the improvement and validates the process where players will buy in more, even if the outcomes aren't there because they feel like they're getting better. And we're recognizing that as we go along. So what I love about what you just shared there was how you're trying to already create this kind of mindset around growth. Like our focus is around improvement and you and an enjoyable practice is a competitive practice. It's a one where we get better. We talked about that in episode 219. I think the reality is, especially as a high school coach, even you know a college coach, um, and definitely down on the youth levels though, is like we said earlier, everyone's like what people define as a great experience, you know, varies by personality and aspirations. But at the end of the day, I want to be coaching a team where after a loss, we're not miserable, but we are focused and we are focused on growth and improvement. You know, and we are coming to practice the next day. We are going to get after it and get better, you know, and, and that's what you're trying to train. And, you know, Nate, I've got one team that I support where they just came out of a COVID kind of shutdown uh, because a few players tested positive and they already had a kind of delayed start to the season due to football. And my encouragement for this coach going into Christmas was, you know, because he's, he's feeling the stress and, you know, they're definitely behind was, well, they got four practices and four games. Well, let's just see that as four or as eight practices, right? Every one of these games is an opportunity to get better. It's an opportunity to learn and grow. And let's forget about the scoreboard in this situation here. And let's just focus on improvement because those outcomes only add more stress, more expectations, right? And, and, and the reality is the team they are now is not going to be even more close to the team they are in two months. And they've got to remember that. I think somewhat related to that, JP, is we don't always appreciate how much effect we can have on our teams, their mood and their approach to practice or game or timeouts or whatever it might be. In that, if I'm feeling pressure and I'm carrying anxiety because my job is on the line or I want to eventually climb the ladder or there's expectations on our season and I don't manage that in a healthy way that's going to be contagious on my team. You know, it's going to affect my patience. It's going to affect my ability to teach. Uh, it's going to affect my ability to communicate and build relationships. 
if I'm constantly operating in a sense of fear of loss, loss of my job, loss of opportunity, loss of whatever, that, that can undermine all the good that we try to do on our teams. And I, I think the opposite of that, when we have a, a calm approach that is focused on improvement, because at the end of the day, if you want to keep your job, if you want to climb the ladder, if you want to make it to the postseason, it, it's all the same. Like the process is the same. You have to keep getting better. And if we just focus on getting better and react in positive ways when we see that, I think, I think our teams respond in the way that we want. They become more coachable. They become more confident. Um, and a lot of that, just, it starts with us in how we're able to manage the stress that is inevitable in the position of being a head coach. And I think one of the ways to insulate ourselves and our teams from some of the detrimental effect of this pressure and expectation is that we have to really find a way to frame failure, whether it's in the midst of a game, whether it's your record overall, like every team, every coach, every player is going to fail and fail repeatedly during a season. But what's our relationship to failure? You know, we often say that failure for us is just feedback. It tells me as a coach that we're not prepared to handle this pressure, defend this action, execute on offense. And therefore, it informs my decisions about what we have to you know, emphasize and practice or invest our time in to get better at. It's not a condemnation. I mean, too often we look at failure and we say, it's a conviction. I'm not a good coach. We're a bad team. We're never going to get where we want to be. And again, those things aren't healthy. They're not useful. But we're trying to embrace our mistakes as information that helps us to improve. And when we do this with our team, and we played the number five team in the state a week ago, and we're overmatched in the game, but we went into it saying, this team is going to do us a favor tonight because they're going to help us get better. They're going to give us a look that we can't get in practice. They're going to help our press break to improve, which we know is a place that for us to be competitive, we've got to get better. And so we're going to embrace that as an opportunity. And if there are things that we don't do well, then they're going to put it on the scoreboard and it's going to feel a little bit differently than teams that can't convert those into points. But it gives us feedback as to where we need to direct our attention going forward. And we're appreciative of that opportunity to play that team and to garner that feedback from that competition. And Nate, I think another important piece of the feedback from a loss is that the other team was better on the day, or maybe they're just a better team. If we lose by 50, they're probably just a better team in almost every area. It's a close loss. You know, there's still value in taking time to acknowledge the other things that the team does well that, that beats us. You know, I think that we talked about that last week. Jocko Wheeling has this saying that I love, which is the enemy gets a vote, right? And sometimes we forget that, but you know, like the enemy gets a vote. They have a say in the outcome of that game. And it's not just always totally dependent upon us. And I think sometimes just celebrating or not even celebrating, but just acknowledging what the other teams does well or did well in that game helps our team to reframe a loss when we might be taking it really, really hard, probably harder than we should be. And we're only just getting down on ourselves, which, which often happens with teams. Well, I do think JP, there's some value in that, you know, a phrase that we've used before. There's a reason this team is undefeated. You know, like, I mean, it, it, that just credits them and we knew the challenge was going to be big. And, and I think in some ways that insulates us a little bit from the disappointment and could distract us from how did we get better tonight? You know, and I'd kind of land this conversation this week, JP, is what we're trying to build into our team 
is a mentality that we want to run into failure because we know that in failure, that's where our learning is. You know, when we played, again, the, the number five team in the state a week ago and turned the ball over 25 times in the game and lost by 35, I talked to the team afterwards and I said, listen, you know, the, the book is out on us, right? We're going to continue to see pressure until we can handle it better. And we know the difference between where we are and where we want to be is our ability to handle that pressure. So we can look at games like this in two ways. So look at games like coming up this week where we're going to play two more teams that are going to give us a lot of pressure. We can be afraid and we can say, oh, we're not good here. And we hope they don't press. And when they do, we just get a little bit tentative and hope we don't make mistakes. Or we can see it as this is where our learning lies. Our growth is in the middle of our opponent's full court pressure defense. And that's the place we have to be willing to go to in order to get better and make up ground on everybody else in our league. And in fact, after that game, I went up to the head coach uh, for the, the team that we play that beat us by 35. And in the last 30 seconds of the game, both teams had subbed out and he pulled the ball out. They had possession for the last 30 seconds and just ran the clock off. And I went up to him afterwards and I said, hey, man, you know, why'd you pull the ball out there? You know, our kids want to play. And he said, well, there's a lot of coaches in the league that get pretty sensitive about final scores and, you know, running it up and stuff like that. And I said, listen, that's not us. Our kids want to get better. And, you know, if it's 30 seconds at the end of the game and it's both teams are playing their bottom five, that's a chance for us to try to get a stop against a team that's good. And so we lost an opportunity to get better because he pulled the ball out. And he said he appreciated that. And I said, you know, if we ever have a chance to beat you by 37 instead of 35, you better believe we're going to do it. You know, and he sort of laughed. And I went into the locker room after the game and I told our team this story. And it was kind of just to reinforce this mentality that if there's time on the clock, it's an opportunity for us to play the game that we love and to get better. And I even relayed this to our, our parents in our weekly email. And I said, we want to be like Bruce Wayne in Batman versus Superman, where there's this scene. And I linked it in the video, in the email where, you know, the buildings are all crumbling and everybody's running away. And here Bruce Wayne gets out of his car and just sprints right into the fray. And I'm like, that's the mentality that we want to have when we have an opportunity to be challenged and be pushed and to get better. We want to run into the fray. And the funny thing was, JP, two games later, we're playing a team and blowing them out by 30 in the, in the second half. And the other team is just walking the ball up the floor. Like they're trying to just get the clock out, you know, and get out of there. And one of my girls on the bench says, coach, why are they walking up the floor? Don't they want to play? And I said, not everybody's built like us. <laughs> you know, not everybody runs into the fray. So it's just been a mentality that our team has kind of embraced. I think our parents can recognize we want to be a team that's not going to shy away from those challenges because we know that's where we get better. So one final thought, uh, one of the most transformational experiences I have seen uh, a team go through was during a 2-20 and 20 season. Yeah, a 2-20 and 20 season. It's a team out of Rice Lake, Wisconsin, coached by Kevin Orr, a longtime listener of the podcast and one of the earliest coaches in the mentorship program and a great friend of mine. And during that losing season, he had his team run a basketball camp for kids with special needs, and it was incredible. He talks about this experience and this now it's a tradition in their program. And he talks about that in episode 104 of the podcast. And if you haven't listened to it, please check it out. Um, but getting his team out and serving others, I mean, I think that dramatically changed their hearts and their mindset. Uh, they became more grateful for the opportunity just to play the game, even in the midst 
of a losing season. So the lesson for me is let's create opportunities, not just preach to our players. Let's create experiences and opportunities to teach them gratitude. And I don't think there's any better way to do that other than them to be out serving. Thanks again for listening in to the Coaching Culture Podcast. I'm grateful for you all, all you listeners. I don't take it lightly that you give us 30 minutes of your time each week. Uh, You can listen to other podcasts, but you keep tuning in. Uh, I'm not sure that's the correct term anymore, but but, but regardless, you keep working to be a better coach, and I'm grateful for that. So thank you.